thank you very much. I was praying this morning and um, I was just uh, reminded once again of a scripture in, in Psalm 19 verse 2 that talks about God being from everlasting to everlasting. Uh, some versions say from beginning to end and you need to get a new version if it says that because God didn't have a beginning and he doesn't have an end. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He's not ancient that suggests he has a beginning. He's everlasting to everlasting. So before he even created this universe and this world, he was. It was not like he was kicking his heels trying to figure out what he was going to do with his life. He was perfectly content, perfectly happy, perfectly powerful. And then as an overflow of his love and grace, he created the universe. And this God who's from everlasting to everlasting decided, it says in Ephesians, before the foundation of the world, he thought about you. Just think about that for a second. He thought about you. And then it says in James uh, chapter 4 and verse 5, that he yearns jealously over the spirit that's in us. That, that as Christians, that we have the spirit of God inside of us and he is yearning for that connection, that, that, that spirit to recognize him. Now, please don't understand me. We're not talking about a needy God who is kind of, uh, you know, kind of concerned and, and worried over us. He doesn't need anything. The scripture says that in Acts, he doesn't need anything at all. And yet as a father yearns for his children or a mother yearns after his children or we can yearn as humans over something that we don't have, it, it isn't a reflection of neediness, but it's a reflection of how much we love that God desires that connection with us. He desires that, that praise, that recognition, not because he's needy, but because he loves us in the same way we love it when our children or, or somebody we love kind of connects with us. We're like, oh, this is so good that God is like that. And he thought about us. And last week, um, I spent some time in Ephesians and, and chapter 3, uh, sorry, cha- Ephesians chapter 1, looking, and, and I said that David in, in the scriptures was constantly saying, remember who you are, strengthen your soul, that we need to stop thinking and listening to ourselves, we need to listen to what God has to say to us, and this whole passage in, in Ephesians chapter 1 is Paul praying that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we could have this spirit of wisdom and revelation and experience the intimacy of knowing God who, who breathed this universe into, into being that he says that, I, that you can actually know him intimately, not just have a knowledge about him, but actually know and experience him. And then he prays and he says that the eyes, the direction of your whole life would be enlightened, that you would understand the hope that you have, that you've been called, that we would live life like that, knowing that we are his inheritance, that, we, that he finds inheritance in us, that he likes you, that he thinks about you, that he rejoices over you, he's proud of you, and Paul's praying that you need to know this, you need to know the power that is towards you, the same power that rose Christ from the cross, from the death, is towards you, he says, Paul says you need to know who and what you are, you need to know what we have, and if we as Christians could live like that, then 
then that hope would just be a light in a, in a dark and hopeless world. See, my heart as a pastor for this church is that we don't just do church on a Sunday for an hour and, I mean, we've gone a little long already uh, because of different things that have been going on, but we're not like, okay, well, when's church finished? This is just a gathering of, uh, of, of the saints, of the people, and we come and celebrate and worship together. But true church, and I don't just say this because it's cliche, but truly church begins when you take that which you have had in your heart enlightened, this spirit of wisdom and revelation, and you go into the world and actually be church to people who don't know him. That's when church starts. This is, and I said last week, this is just like an opening paragraph for the chapter of your life that starts this week. So how does that chapter read for you this week? How did it read last week? How does it read this week? What's the opening paragraph like this week? That's what we're doing right now. It's the everyday church. It's, it's how this family life should be lived out. And so Paul in Ephesians 1 is saying, you need to know some stuff. And today what we're going to see is Paul praying, now that you know this, you need to be empowered. So you're enlightened. Now you're empowered. I'm praying that you'd be empowered to live out what you know. That's the second prayer that we're going to look at. And we're going to see how it connects with Psalms as well. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse uh, 14 and 15, if you have your Bibles, then you can turn or switch on. And I always make myself so wet when I start preaching. Um, I just can't manage a bottle, apparently. Pray for me. Or it should appear on the screen. Just, um, in, in just in Ephesians 3 and verse 14. For this reason, now here's what I like about Paul. He is the supreme brilliance at rabbit trails. Because if you, if you later on, or you can look right now if you've actually got a proper Bible, uh, Ephesians 3 and verse 1, it says, for this reason. So for this reason, Paul, I, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ on behalf of you Gentiles. And then it's like this hyphen, and then he goes on this huge rabbit trail for like 13 verses. And then he comes back on the 14th verse and goes, okay, for this reason, let's just get back on, on our thoughts here. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. So let's just stop there for a second. We talked about how Paul, above everything else, prioritizes prayer. This is Paul, the apostle, who rose people from the dead through his prayers. He was risen from the dead himself a number of times. He was shipwrecked. He was poisoned. He had all sorts of things going on in his life. This is the apostle Paul, superhero, with a P on his front shirt, cape flapping in the wind. He still resorts to praying for this church. This church, Ephesus, you know, the historians tell us, could have been a couple of hundred thousand people meeting in large gatherings and small gatherings. And it's this incredible church led by Timothy, who's this young man, maybe in his mid-twenties, leading all these people. And Paul is his mentor. And he's saying, later on in First and Second Timothy, he gives these amazing um, uh, accounts as to how Timothy should be a leader. And, and, and so all these incredible things are happening. And yet Paul still says, I need to pray. You need to know some things. You need to be empowered by some things. And so he prioritizes prayer over everything else. And then he says this, I bow my knees before the Father from every family in heaven on earth is named. 
The actual translation there, it's a bit difficult to translate purely, is this word family, that, that he, he's the from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. It's this, he's the father of fathers, is basically what Paul is saying. He, he, he is over in heaven and earth. He's, he's over everything. And he's named you. This is a, this, what Paul's saying is you need to know your identity. You need to know who your dad is. In verse 9 of the same chapter, it says, And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. You see, this God who created all things is our Father. He's the family above family. He's the Father above fathers. He's the one from whom all things were created. In Colossians, it says everything is in Him and through Him and for Him. He is supreme. In the beginning, God created. And Paul is saying you need to remember who you are. In Psalm 139, you can read it later, it talks about how he formed us in our mother's womb and he breathed life into us and he gave us substance and frame. In other words, he made your character the way it is. I get really excited about the really silliest things and I can get quite loud and and vigorous as you might have noticed, especially as I preach. And then there's some people who are kind of quiet and more reserved with different characters. And, and that's, that's good. That's fine. That's how God created you to be. But then it says he also formed your, your, your frame, how you look. Your, your features were the way God created. That he determined the actual numbers of the hair on your head, it says. He knows them. You need to know that you are thought about and, and that... And that he is sovereign, that he is in control. We've already sung this morning and, and, and Sarah encouraged us to think about taking a breath in. Like as you breathe, you know, God gave you that breath right now. That breath you have, the scriptures say, is given to you by God as a gift. And, and however many breaths he gives us is up to him. But that gives us great tremendous, it gives us great hope and calling that, that this life that we've been given, the father of fathers, that as a church we can actually live this out in such a way where we give hope and light to a hopeless and, uh, and dark community that we can have this abundant family life. So here's what Paul is praying for. He's praying that we would know who we are in verse 14 and 15 so that we could live an abundant life. And then he explains to us in verse 19, uh, sorry, yeah, in verse 19, what this life is like. So it says, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God so that you won't live an empty life, but you live a full life. And the scriptures talk about abundant life, life more abundantly. It's not contingent on what's happening, but you just have this buoyancy that is a a joy that bubbles up from within you. Paul is saying that is what true life is meant to be had, that that is found in Christ. And as a church and as a church family, that we together should be able to experience this love and then take it into the world every day. See, church is not about just us gathering and listening to me harp on for half an hour and then you go, well, it wasn't bad and then leave and then forget about it and then come back in a couple of weeks' time. That is not church. That is not even Christianity. It's really important that we understand that the breath that he gives us 
that the reason that we exist, that the reason that he thought about us before the foundation of the world, the reason he's the father of fathers, the reason he wants us to have abundant life and hope and calling and strength and, and power and inheritance, the reason is not so that we can fill our life with things that terminate on us, The reason he's given us that, the reason you woke up this morning was to bring him glory and be on mission. That's why church exists. You have to do biblical gymnastics to make this Bible say anything other than the reason you exist is for you to be on mission. And so if you are not on mission, if you are not discipling others, if you are not living life with Him first in your mind, then you are actually missing the very purpose of your life. How desperately sad is that? How desperately sad is it that if you see church and Christianity as basically this? Because we're going to disappoint you. I probably already have. We're going we're gonna to miss something. If this, is, if this is church, then we're in trouble. But Paul is saying, look, here are the things you need to know in Ephesians 1 so that you can live this life. So here's what's going to happen in the fall. We're going to be looking at more how we do everyday church and church in our community, not just here. And we're going to look at community groups and, and we're going to look at how the community groups form because I am concerned as your pastor that we are more focused. Now, I'm saying this lovingly, but just bear with me, that we are creating codependent communities, desperately holding on to one another in the hope that no nasty non-Christians will come in and ruin our relationship with one another. See, that is a beautiful thing as long as it, t- as, it, as it results in us going out and actually telling other people about the Jesus. And so we really have to make sure that we're fulfilling this, this mandate, this cause that Paul is starting to extrapolate for us and say, look, you were meant to live life filled. You were meant to live life abundant. You were meant to know that you are, the, are called by the Father. That's what this church needs to be. In Ephesians 2 and verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So this is, this is not Pastor Glenn. This, this, this is what the scripture says. We are his workmanship. That literally means artistry, poetry. You are his artwork. Isn't that great? Some of you might be thinking, yeah, I feel like I'm a bit of a Picasso on most days. And other days I feel like Monet, and it's great, but today I feel like I'm a, a Pollock, just splattered all over the, I don't know, whatever God's decided you look like, and sound like, and be like, that's up to him, but notice what he says, you are my poetry, you are my artwork, created in Christ Jesus for codependency, oh no, wait, for good works, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So Paul, therefore, in recognition of this, for this reason, has three prayer requests, three specific requests. Verse 16 is the first one that I want you to read with me, that according to the riches of his glory, how rich is God? Now, I've met some rich people, but that pales in significance to the one that breathes creation into life. I'm fairly sure that God can afford 
to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, with whomever he wants, however he wants. What do you give somebody who has everything? Have you ever been in that situation? You're like, is their birthday coming up? I have no idea. Let's get on Amazon and try and figure out what we get somebody who has everything. God literally has everything. So what do you give him? What's he ask for? What's he ask for? He asks that we would fulfill the good works and that we walk in them. That's what he asks for. He asks that we live life in recognition and glorifying him, that we be on mission and be church every day. That's what he asks for. But God in his supreme richness, the riches of his glory that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So what's the first request that Paul has that we, according to how rich God is, that that same richness would be applied to strength in our spirits, in our inner being. So this is a big request. So it creates a question. And I was praying this morning, Father, I pray that they would be strengthened in their spirit and their inner man. That therefore creates a question for us. Do you have a strong spirit in your inner man? Do you have spiritual strength according to his riches? You see, this, this inner being is the very core of who you are. Is it strong? Is it purposeful? Is it determined? See, one of the things that people often accuse Christianity of being is just forced rules. You mustn't do this. You mustn't go there. Do this. Don't do this. And and we kind of have this uh, reputation of placing all these rules on somebody that if you live this way, then you will be acceptable to God and he'll love you. And it is so unbiblical. It is horrifyingly bad. Just read Galatians. It's not how it works. What actually happens is that we as Christians, if you believe in Jesus this morning, that when you, when you uh, submitted your life to him, when he initiated faith in you and you responded, then this new spirit came into your new inner man or inner woman, that your spirit was changed, that the very core and the center of you is now a new creation, the scripture says. And so as we have this strengthened, then, then good things emerge that our inner man actually naturally becomes more and more like Jesus. Our inner woman, can I just say man and let's get over this. I'm talking about mankind, okay? Don't send me emails. (laughs) Like your inner man will be strengthened in, in such a way where those good things emerge. So rather than having codependent groups that are there held together by their need to try and stop you from doing sin, whether it be uh, groups that, that form to like support groups, that rather than that happening, what actually happens is you don't need to be codependently supporting one another because your inner man is actually giving you the strength to become more and more like Jesus where you don't actually want to do those things. You don't want to go those places. You don't want to turn that computer on. You don't want to gossip. You don't want to push yourself forward. You don't want to be bitter. You don't want to be angry. All these things emerge from this strength that you have inside of you that is present through Jesus Christ, not present through hard work. So let's stop the, I've got to do this, do this, do this, do this in order to become better. What you do is you want to do those things because of the love that Christ has shown you by giving you a new spirit. 
when I was doing youth ministry and young adults, I would often get asked the question, how do you know if somebody's a Christian? How do I know if I'm a Christian? This is perhaps the number one way that you know whether you are saved this morning. That if you, have, if you are comfortable with sin, if you can happily take part in things that you know is sin, as per the Scriptures, you know that you can happily be alongside it and be involved in it and watch it and listen to it and read it and, and it not cause any angst within you, if it's just a happy place for you, then you are not a Christian. Because your spirit and his spirit and the world's spirit are never, ever going to be comfortable together. If they are comfortable, then you have an old spirit. You have an old man, even if you're 12 years old. Because if you're comfortable, then the spirit of God is not at work inside of you. If you are uncomfortable, if you just like, you can be a million miles away from God, but still have that tension within you that you just know that you know that this is not right. You might be fighting it. You might be angry. You might be running away from it. But if you know that you know that, that, that man, this is just not right. I, I just, this is hard and it's exhausting then that's a great indication that your spirit is not the spirit of the world. It's actually a new spirit. And Paul is praying that Christians, for you to be everyday church, for you to be the family of God, for you to actually live abundantly, then your spiritual strength, your inner man, needs to be strengthened. That you become more and more like Jesus. Because look at the second thing that he prays in verse 17. So that Christ, so that... So your inner man is strengthened for a reason. That your inner being is strengthened, is emerging more and more like Jesus, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love, so that Christ may dwell. So why is it that we need this strengthening? It's so that Christ may dwell in you. Near the end of Jesus' ministry, he was surrounded by a motley crew of men who were from all sorts of different backgrounds, and some women as well, and they were all this kind of eclectic, kind of crazy, some of them loudmouthed, some of them reserved, some of them very doubtful, some of them very scared, some of them ready to chop ears off, you know, the whole gamut. It was quite the community group Jesus had. And he said, look, it's to your advantage that I'm going. You're going to do greater things than me. And they must be thinking, how Am I going to do greater things than you? And then in the next breath, you tell us that you're leaving. He says, it's to your advantage because I'm going to send my spirit to you. So there must have been this rising panic within them. Like, how, how, is, this going to, how is this going to be a good thing? And you know what instruction Jesus left with his disciples? The one thing he said that they must do in order to see this world change, for lives to be transformed, to be the light. You know, the one thing that he tells them to do is not the methodology around church. It's not how to run community groups. It wasn't how to lead prayer meetings. It wasn't how to uh, do, be involved in social justice or serve the poor or any of those good things. It was not one of those. You can read it in John chapter 15. He says this, abide in me. Lesson over. If you want true strength, if you truly want to be a light... If you want me to dwell, not just visit, but dwell, then abide in me. He said, if you want your prayers answered, abide in me. Allow me to dwell in you. 
I wonder how many of you over the summer have had people come along that you're just expecting to visit, but somehow they think they're going to dwell. I found that when we came to Kelowna, that at summertime, it was just kind of at the beginning. It kind of faded off after a while. Apparently, we, didn't, we don't have as many friends as we thought we did at the beginning when we were in Kelowna. It was kind of Hotel Madden, and, and it, was, it, was, it was crazy. Like, the cost of having visitors. And I know that some of you are going, yes, this is so true, because you have to go places with them. You have to then spend money when you get there. You have to get lots of food from Costco. And it's really like suddenly these visitors become dwellers. And once somebody is dwelling, it's really hard to make them a visitor and then get rid of them. You see, Jesus does not want to be a visitor. We are not going to see any change happen in our city if we just have a bunch of Christians which Jesus visits every now and again. Or that more importantly, they visit Jesus every now and again. It's not going to happen. Coming here every two weeks, it's not going to happen. It's just not. Going to a community group every now and again, it's not going to happen. See, this is, not, this is not positioning yourself in order to actually be an effective missionary, which is what we're called good works to do. But Jesus is saying, I need to dwell. I need to abide. Abide in me. See, then he says, you'll be grounded and rooted. Or rooted and grounded. You'll be strong. There's a, there's a sense of habitual strength when somebody is rooted and grounded. They're not like this. They're steady. They're rooted. They're grounded. It's very interesting in Ephesus, in Ephesians, if you read through it, that Paul talks about three different positions. I just want to point these out to you, and maybe you can listen to the, the message online and have a look at them yourself. But in chapter 2 and verse 6, he talks about being seated. And then in 2 verse 20, he talks about being built up. And then in 3 and verse 14, he talks about bowing. These are all positions that Paul is taking. This is him abiding with Christ. This is him prioritizing Jesus. This is him saying, you are first. I want to dwell with you. I want you to dwell with me. I'm going to abide by sitting, by bowing, by building up, by studying, by the word of God. By prayer, by positioning myself in community. And then in the second half of Ephesians, it changes. Chapter 4 and verse 1, he talks about walking. In 4 verse 15, he talks about growing up. And then in 6 verse 14, he talks about standing. See, these are the actual actions in life. The everyday life of walking it out is going to be empowered by you sitting, building up and bowing. You growing up. Rather than just being toddler Christians, but actually growing up in Christ is going to come by a sitting, bowing, building up, word and prayer. And then the standing, the fights, the victory is going to happen by us being seated, by us being built up and by us bowing. Friends, I want to encourage you that for us to be rooted and grounded, we need to be seeking to abide in him. And Paul prays his pastoral prayer that you would have strength in your inner being and that you might dwell with Christ. Then you will be able to do these things. This personal experience, notice what he says in verse 17, grounded in love. 
In Romans 5, verse 5, it talks about being filled with the love of God. That when you become a Christian, you are given the love of Christ. That this grounding, this rooting is love. It's this personal experience that we experience. There's nothing like being loved. It gives us security and a confidence and a, and a, and a, and a, and a strength in and of itself. And he says, you are loved by Jesus. Remember my first prayer? That he, you are his inheritance. He chose you. You are loved by him. You need to be rooted and grounded in that. And that only comes by abiding in Him and Him dwelling in you and positioning yourself to do that by prayer and by reading the Scriptures. But then he goes on to his final point, which is verse 18, and says this, May have strength to comprehend with all the saints. That word comprehend literally means to lay hold of. You've got to fight for it. That you might have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. So here's what Paul's saying. You need to be rooted and grounded in who you are. You need to know the love of Christ personally in your life. But this is what he says. Now buckle up, because this, is, this to me is amazing. If you really want to experience, though, the breadth and length and depth and height, that which surpasses knowledge itself, if you really want to experience that kind of love, it needs to be with the saints. That only comes with the saints. That only comes together. You don't get that by yourself. Comprehend with the saints all this length and breadth and height and depth and that which is beyond comprehension will come to you as we gather together, love one another, and take that into our community. We were never created to be in isolation. We were never created to be by ourselves. We were never created to take a break from Christianity or church. We were created to be together. And then something incredible happens. If you look at this scripture I've got over here, it's talking about community groups. It says this, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. It does not say, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you serve the poor. If you do great church on a Sunday. If you give lots of money away, it says they will know you by your love for one another. Are those other things not important? They absolutely are because your love for one another will result in those things. But your love for one another, together, your comprehension of God's love as we are together and then love one another will actually be that which causes, Jesus says, in the same passages, the church to grow. So let me say something Tough, but true. If you have no interest in community, then the question according to this scripture has to be whether or not you are abiding in his love. Because it seems like a natural response to, from abiding in Christ, the natural response is to be together and love one another together. To actually comprehend the love of God through the saints true, deep, experienced love of Christ is found together. And then he says it surpasses knowledge. It surpasses knowledge. When I first started pastoring, I dreamt about 
This is some 20 so years ago, and, and for those of you who don't know, I haven't been a full-time pastor at Willow Park. Uh, I was a school administrator for many years and ran a business or two, and, and God called me to the ministry full-time in this way just a few years ago, but Sarah and I planted churches, and we did bivocational ministry for some 15 almost 20 years, so we pastored a few churches and worked at the same time, and, and I always had this dream in my mind that what church really was about was if I could just fill a room, teach the Bible, the Spirit of God would come alive in the lives of those people, and they would go out, and the room would just get bigger and bigger, and we just need to get bigger and bigger rooms. And over the last four or five months, God has really been shifting this kind of paradigm and there's this, this dissatisfaction that has been rising up in me where I realize that that is not what we're called to do. And, and not only that, it's not working. Because generally, and I'm going on a little sidetrack, let me just give you a, an idea of what normal church planting looks like in North America is this, is if we plant a church and start a church and do something slightly different or better than the church down the road, then Christians are going to come and then we'll have church growth. And all we're doing is shuffling the same bunch of cards. Well, we'll take some Christians from this church and put them into this new cool church until they realize the kids' ministry isn't as good as this church, and then we'll go there, but then the worship's not quite, it's not very Bethel, so we'll go to this church, and then we just shift around, and what happens is this pastor's like, the blessing of God is upon me because people are coming to my church. And then this pastor gets excited for a year or two, and then this pastor gets excited for a year or two, and this pastor now is discouraged and leaves... And then this pastor then gets encouraged because, and, and those of you who've been around Kelowna, am I right? Am I right? Churches breathe in and breathe out. Same bunch of Christians, breathe in and breathe out. And then some people move from Edmonton because why wouldn't they? And then people come from Vancouver because they can make lots of money on their house in Vancouver. And, 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 like, and then people are crawling for Saskatchewan. And, and like, it's like we're more Christians, more Christians, more Christians. And so what happens is churches breathe in and they breathe out. But what happens in Cologne is they hyperventilate every year or two. It's just gone. And so you guys have been here more than two years. You're, you're committed. You know that some people who used to sit next to you aren't here anymore who were here a year ago. Why? Is it my fault? Is it your fault? Is it that somehow we've got this Christianity church thing a little bit wrong? But maybe God intended church to be more than hyperventilating groups of Christians that encourage and discourage pastors on a two-year basis. Is that church planting? Where's the baptism tank? It's collecting dust in that back room. And I'm going to stand and God's going to judge me one day. Not because of the dry baptism tank. But for whether or not I've done what Paul tells Timothy in, later on, and he says, as for you, Timothy, you keep preaching the word and you keep spreading the gospel and you stay committed and true to what you know is right. That's what I'm going to stand in judgment for. But I'm also going to be stood, and the Bible says, because I teach, I'm going to be held to a higher account. And my desperate desire is to make sure that I do as good a job as I can in praying and teaching the way church should be. And church is not hyperventilating church bodies. I should write a book one day called The Hyperventilating Church. 
how not to church plant. And then God said this to me over the summer. He said, and some of you know this, this is a huge rabbit trail, I'm sorry. He said, stop focusing on those you're trying to keep and focus on those you're trying to reach. And those that I'm just trying to keep are those that are on the outer rim <laughs> that I'm trying to coax into the middle. Please stay, please come, please join. I was spending all my energy on that and getting discouraged because they would still leave because the kids' ministry was better somewhere else or the worship was better somewhere else or, or just something else. And God said, no, let's focus on those we're trying to reach. How are we going to reach them? By loving one another. How are we going to love one another? By abiding and being strengthened in Christ. That's how we're going to do it. So if we could just do that, it'd be great. And you know what? Our church large gathering may reduce... But our community group gatherings will increase. And I'm, I'm okay with that. And so when I come to the end of this passage, and he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I truly believe, I truly believe if we know who we are, if we pray and ask to be strengthened with power in our inner beings, that if we would abide in Christ and we would love one another, then he truly will do more abundantly than we can ever ask or think. And I've got a good thinker. I can think big. And it says here he can do more. That's what this church should be about. And so I, I've been praying every day this week that we this morning and every day this week would, would position ourselves to hear from him that we wouldn't get distracted by all the whether it be an app on the phone or a business meeting at work or little ones running around the house whatever it might be that we'd be able to say Lord let's just abide in you let's be strengthened in our inner being let's remember that we are his inheritance that he called us, he gave us hope that we're his workmanship for good works. And then, we're going to have communion as part of our final song together. We're going to pray, and then, like I said last week, welcome to church. Church has now officially started when you leave. So I hope you've heard my heart this morning and my prayer for what church could be. But my sincere pastoral prayer for you is that you would know him and you would receive a spirit of wisdom and revelation in that. Let's pray.